0: Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Brendan Considine, discussing maths, in a way, I guess, and Kotlin. Hi, Brendan.
1: Hi, Hattie. How are you?
0: I am good. Are you in lockdown just like us over here?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's been uh, about a week here now. We've recently resumed our classes and uh, office hours and everything. So it's all virtual now.
0: So you're doing it all online?
1: Yeah, just uh, back to work from home, like, um, I guess, for a while there. Um, But I was uh, really looking forward to um, getting out and about. And uh, it looks like we'll be here for a while. I think the government has said the shutdown is going to last at least 30 days or so.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, we've been in, I think, uh, two weeks now. They're talking about another two weeks. And I think that they're being optimistic. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to be, but anyway, let's uh, let's uh, not dwell on this because I think the whole world is going through it. Um, and let's talk positive things. Let's talk Kotlin and let's talk maths. And yeah, sure. yeah. When and you at KotlinConf gave a talk last year, right in December. What was the title of the talk?
1: Um, let's see. I think uh, derivatives and why they matter, or maybe. Um, something to do with differentiation.
0: Okay. Now, I probably, well, not probably, I know that I studied all of this at school and then at university, some of it. And uh, it's funny because my my kids now, they're like, oh, yeah, we're doing derivatives. And I'm like, I don't remember what that is. Uh, (laughs) But uh, who would have known that one day in my life, I might actually talk about this again and might I don't know if I need it yet, but we'll get to that. But uh, so let's start and treat me as a complete noob, which I am in this. Like, I don't remember half of the things that I studied even mm. yesterday. Uh, but uh, let's start from the very beginning, okay? Okay. And I'd like to start normally with asking a simple question of why. Why yeah. should I care about this Of uh, in terms of derivatives and uh, differentials? And why me being, just just to give context, like I'm a software developer, right? The average listener to this podcast is a software developer. Mm -hmm. Why should we care about this?
1: Yeah, I guess um, in the same way that uh, developers um, can uh, read about uh, lots of computer science algorithms and things like this, Uh, Maybe it's not uh, completely essential to uh, your everyday um, web application or um, while you're building some back-end server-side stuff, Um, but I think uh, it's an interesting algorithm and I was interested in it from the perspective of um, how can we uh, teach computers to improve over time and uh, build something that uh, allows us to feed it data and get um, some sort of um, answers back, whether that's uh, business decisions or um, some form of uh, early kind of analytics. Um, And so one way to do this is um, uh, an algorithm called linear regression. So maybe um, you've heard of this algorithm, Um, and what happens is you have some data that uh, looks like it might uh, be a linear kind of uh, trend, and um, you'd like to fit a line to it. And so you can draw lots of lines, but um, one of them uh, minimizes the error, so the, the difference between each point on that line and every data point you have. And so, um, you can do this a bunch of different ways. One of the ways is to, uh, just take a guess and then slightly update the, uh, the slope and the intercept of that line so that uh, eventually it converges to this line of best fit. And you can do this for not just linear, um, data, but uh, nonlinear, and uh, in fact, any function uh, you can train like this, if you have um, a large, uh, what's called a neural network. But um, it's not, I guess, super important to understand all those details if you're just uh, trying to fit some data. But I think um, it's helpful to try to build something if you want to understand it. So that's where I was coming from is I didn't understand it very well. I guess uh, like many folks um, just did one class in differential equations and uh, didn't really kind of stick. But I wanted to understand how this worked from the ground up. So I built it.
0: Let me ask you the question more directly. I am a software developer that is building your typical line of business application that has nothing to do with artificial intelligence, nothing to do with machine learning. Why is it useful for me to know this? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so um, it turns out, I guess, that uh, for most of the software development that we do, it's done in this classical way. So you have some idea of how you'd like to solve a problem and then you implement it and maybe that's um, That's not uh, the the best solution that you could have. Maybe there's some parameters that you'd like to tune um, And it, this happens in Java applications um, and lots of things uh, So there's lots of free parameters um, command-line flags and and everything else and these are all um inputs to some function. So if you think of uh, a program as just this um, is kind of a functional uh, philosophy, but it's just um, a function with some inputs and um, some outputs and uh, you'd like to be able to learn those inputs where you're not really certain what the values should be. Um, so It turns out that uh, most of the operations that we do on the computer are addition, multiplication, subtraction, division. And uh, these can be differentiated um, symbolically or uh, otherwise. So if there is a numerical input and uh, there's some output that you'd like to minimize or uh, maximize um, then you can treat this as um, a differentiation problem and uh, do what's called gradient descent. Um, so I guess uh, if that there's I guess there's different ways of approaching this question of why is it useful. Um, I just come at it from well there's lots of techniques that uh, use this um, fundamental uh, algorithm and I uh, like to try to understand, well, if I'm trying to build an application that um, maybe has to learn from data, this is a kind of a useful pattern to know. Just like, you know, you study a pattern, you know, facade or uh, the builder pattern or different software engineering patterns. This is kind of a pattern in um, mathematical optimization.
0: Let's just go on the premise that, you know it may be useful for me in, in, at some point in my life and and it yeah. might be nice to understand it okay so let's uh let's and and again this is talking kotlin and we'll get to the kotlin part but we need to make you know people need to understand what exactly it is that we're talking about to then further figure out like why the kotlin aspect of it right so your talk was derivatives Yes. Okay, for people that are not familiar with the term derivative, what exactly is a derivative?
1: Okay, yeah, Um, so I think maybe the best way to explain this is um, through some simple physics examples. So you have, um, in physics, you have your your position uh, in space, right, and as you're traveling through space you're you're moving through positions um and maybe you're accelerating and decelerating and the rate of um, change that uh your velocity takes is a is a derivative of the velocity, and the velocity is a derivative of your position and so on so you can uh think about it like this. I think another way is that um it just tells us. If we make a small change um, in the input space or the inputs, if we make a small change to the inputs, how does this affect uh, our output for any function? Um, and uh, you can do this for functions that are um, kind of non-differentiable, that in the sense that they're not um, kind of. Continuous and smooth functions, you might not get a sensible answer, but you can um, just take uh, the rate of change and divide it by the um, this this infinitesimal change. And so, as as this this uh, uh, the the bottom part of your your division here goes towards zero, then um, this approaches the true derivative. And so that's kind of one way. It's called finite differences. And uh, there's some other ways you can um, think about how this works. But I I think uh, just it's a rate of change. Okay. Uh, And and so this rate of change will tell us how to um, make a small change in our inputs so that we'd like to update the output to go in uh, a higher direction or a low direction or what have you. And so this is called gradient descent. So if we're trying to Optimize a function, then uh, we can apply this derivative. Uh, There's lots of ways that um, It's used outside of this context where you're optimizing a function, but I think that's probably the most direct way and then if you're doing simulations or other forms of um, graphics programming, this is also useful
0: Okay, so you could summarize it as a function that. Uh, indicates the rate of change.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it it's a it's a f- function um, that takes a function as its input and outputs a function um, that's uh, the rate of change of the original function.
0: Right. Now, so I've got a function that gives me the rate of change. Give me a pl- practical example of this. When would I use a function like that?
1: Sure um so let's see think of a different one um if we have um say a an application that um is meant to uh take some attributes from a user um say the user is a um a certain age group has some certain features about uh, how they what they 're interested in, and um, you 'd like to predict an advertisement to show to that user then um, all of these are are attributes that we can uh, turn into some numbers um, and from that uh, then our goal is to identify say the subset of users that would be most Um, likely to click on an advertisement um, in a set of ads that we have. Um, So uh, to do this, you kind of have to um, draw a boundary between uh, the users that um, are unlikely to respond to this advertisement and the users that are. And so um, you can uh, try to optimize for the the likelihood that someone's going to click on an advertisement um, based on the this input feature set. Another thing we can do is say uh, you're driving a car and uh, you'd like to keep the car centered in the middle of the lane. Well, um, you have an image that's a bunch of pixels and these are numbers. And you'd like to try to um, train this uh, with some Data There's a human kind of driver and they kind of stay in the center of the lane and uh, you can treat this as a, a regression problem to try to minimize the distance between the wheel angle and the, the center of the lane. So um, there's uh, and these are all just simple functions, right? They're just addition, multiplication, traction, division and um, as long as you have that then you can, and you're you're doing uh, this on sort of something that's close to real numbers, which are just um, the number line that we're familiar with. Then, um, then this all just works out. You can apply a simple set of rules to take this input function and give you the rate of change function.
0: And I think you gave two good practical examples there, right? That even if people aren't in the machine learning field. Uh, neural networks could easily understand whether those are actually done with neural networks is, is, is of course, another matter. Uh, yeah. So now, why Kotlin?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So uh, maybe it would help to um, go back a little bit. You said um, start from the beginning. So I was um, working as a software engineer in around 20. 12, uh, recently graduated from university and uh, was working at um, an ad tech uh, company in Austin, Texas, uh, doing the first example um, that uh, we discussed. And then I was thinking, well, um, I was I, familiar with Java and uh, doing a lot of Java development. And um, my boss at that time, uh, Ian Clark, was a fan of Kotlin. And I was um, trying to understand, well, how to improve you know, the software design patterns and things like this. Um, but uh, I was also uh, doing a lot of database kind of development. And I um, was familiar with SQL. And I was using this uh, domain-specific language called Juke. Uh, you might be familiar with this. Um, But for your listeners, uh, uh, Juke is a a framework that allows you to write type safe Kotlin uh, or type safe Java. And uh, it uses um, the SQL kind of DSL. And uh, I found this really fascinating. Like I'd never seen Java written like this. It was uh, a language inside of a language. And uh, each of the tokens in this, um, framework is a kind of fluent interface. so You can chain them together and it will only give you the uh, fields that are in your table in the, the database. And so I was thinking, well, I'd like to be able to do that uh, in some other domain. And um, it took me a few years to uh, get around to building one. But when I did, I, I was really Happy because uh, it allowed you to get feedback and assistance as you're writing code in a domain-specific way without writing a bunch of um, code for your your environment that tries to infer what you're what you're doing. If you write this API correctly, you'll get um, static analysis and code completion and things. And so I thought this was the neatest thing, and um, I. Uh, I started using Kotlin a number of years later. Uh, In fact, after I uh, left JetBrains, I I started using it. And um, it was uh, a great language. I found it um, idiomatically concise for a lot of things and uh, has this nice functional style. Um, But aside from that, I um, was uh, really interested in uh, how to build mathematical abstractions. And so I thought about how you could do this in um, a, uh, a type system like Kotlin's. And it turns out that it's a it's pretty uh, a good fit, I think. Um, there's a lot of nice patterns that are easy to express in Kotlin and uh, are kind of more difficult because Java doesn't have this operate, operator overloading. And so uh, we mentioned that there's just a few simple operations you need to implement um, to do differentiation um, and uh, addition, multiplication, subtraction, and and the, and so the, these are um, really all you need. And so, if you're doing this in uh, a language like Java or uh, like C or something else, then uh, you're going to have to implement this as a function call rather than the the operator that you you just like. And so, and and. The idea is here that you want to be able to overload these functions because you're going to need to um, construct a, uh, a, a a a language inside of your language to to differentiate through. And you can do this at compile time if you want. So you'd have to write some kind of transformation or metaprogramming thing over your program, or you can do this at runtime. So I wasn't um, super interested in building a lot of compiler infrastructure. I wanted to just get up and running with uh, an API and a library than a language that I was familiar with. And so um, at that time I was writing a lot of Kotlin, I figured, well, what's a better way to learn more about this than use a language that I'm familiar with and then try to implement this from scratch.
0: Yeah, I mean, those are basically the concept of internal DSLs, right? Right. And uh, do you feel like Kotlin, well, let let me try and see how I could ask this. Um so you know, a lot of concepts of maths which are applied in programming and yet not well known, right? For example, der- derivatives, differentials, etc. And when you look at something like maths, it is very uh, uh, concise, how formulas are represented are quite concise. You know, like they're the stripped-down versions of what we would call a function, right? Everything is represented as a function, but it's just so, so concise. Do you think that having something like Kotlin and having this DSL could help uh, enhance the uh, understanding of these concepts?
1: Um, It's a good question. I think... Uh, if the user is able to um, dive into the implementation and uh, understand that very uh, at, at a at a quick glance, then maybe they'll be more inclined to learn more about um, implementing mathematical t- abstractions uh, I think the more likely scenario is that they're either already familiar with Uh, These concepts or they're trying to build a a higher level API on top of um, say like a a scikit-learn or a a Keras style interface if people are familiar with that from Python where this is kind of just um, a way of constructing certain types of um, function approximators, but um, the idea is that uh, if you're able to express your your ideas in a in a mathematically or notationally concise uh, format then it's easier to recognize um you can use your kind of pattern recognition skills that are already you've already learned and um it, it's much more fluent so you're you're familiar with it you don't have to learn um this language inside of a language in a lot of cases when you're writing a Um, internal DSL, you have to learn this whole new abstraction and then that takes extra time. If you can just use the notation you're already familiar with, then uh, it's easier to uh, be productive. And so, um, yeah, I think it can probably help for people who um, are unfamiliar with these concepts to see something um, in a plainly written, um, domain-specific language. Uh, in a lot of cases, people probably won't read the implementation because this, you know, you have some libraries that are built on top of libraries that are built on this uh, or something else, whatever that um, their stack supports. Then you want to make that as kind of transparent as possible. Um, so I, I kind of uh, just uh, I, I, th- I think that uh, there's some nice uh, abstractions that kotlin has that. Make it easy to um, define this. So, I, I was very um, excited about this idea of uh, writing kind of languages in other languages, and um, so so you can do this in a plugin. I, I wrote a lot of um, IDE plugins, and uh, I found that um, it's while it's very powerful, it's useful if you're you know trying to support some new framework. Um, If you have a language, uh, you don't need to write all this extra um, sort of helper functions and uh, regular expression matching and uh, all all of these grammars. If you just implement the API correctly, you can get the same type of assistance. And so um, one talk I really enjoyed that uh, kind of taught me this was Eugene Petrenko's. uh, He had a Java One Talk, I think maybe 2013 or something like that. And... uh, and that got me thinking for a while about how how useful that pattern was, and um, and whichever um, uh, you know, if you have a language that supports this style, then you can um, write fluent um, grammars in in your your domain specific language, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, and uh, he was he was even taking it to the point of trying to write Visual Basic inside Kotlin, which wasn't that nice. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting what you can do because um, Java uh, is is a lot more um, verbose and uh, in some ways expressive. Uh, so this is a, a a good and a bad thing in so, some ways. But uh, you can write any um, language in the Java type system. It turns out, um, or any uh, uh, you know other. The, Certain type of language, but it's most languages like SQL, um, Basic, uh, all these things. And now um, with Kotlin, which is interesting, is um, the the type system isn't um, as it it doesn't allow you to write as much uh, inside the type system. So it's not you can't write programs in the type system, but um, uh, or at least I don't know how. Um, but in Java, it's shown that uh, you can write a program that it's infinite, you know, it goes on and on um, inside of its type checker. Um, and and so you can effectively write any, a parser and uh, a grammar inside of that um, and run an entire stack inside the type checker. And this is true for C++ and some other languages as well. Um, but it's uh, it's not always a good thing.
0: Yeah. So in terms of, you said that, you know, you've, I mean, you gave the talk around uh, derivatives and differentials, and you have also a library around this, right? Or, or...
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the whole um, impetus for, for doing that talk, I guess, because um, at the time I started doing my master's degree around 2016. 20 yeah uh, 2017, there was um, uh, some interest in doing software engineering in um, in machine learning, and so I, I joined this um, university where uh, they do a lot of um, statistics and machine learning, and uh, and I was a software engineer. I was thinking, well, how can I um, use the skills that I have to help help uh, them write some of their code and then uh, learn about what they're doing. And so, um, as I mentioned, you know, I was familiar with Kotlin, so I wrote this uh, little API. It turned into uh, a longer thing that I did for my master's thesis. But uh, it was it was interesting. Yeah, I, I enjoyed um, uh, talking to folks at um, different conferences um, and uh, learning about the problems they had. And so. I think we kind of go into this a lot of times, you know, writing something that you'd like to use. And I think it was, that was mainly the thing, but uh, it's important to understand, you know, you're solving problems that people have rather than problems you think they have. And so uh, I got some good feedback um, there and uh, have been able to, fortunate, my advisor is Liam Paul and Michaelis Mellis. They've been very, uh, giving me a, 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 lo- a lot of freedom to explore these ideas which uh, I'm grateful for.
0: Nice. And this is all on GitHub, right?
1: Yes, yeah, it's um uh, the library is called Kotlin Grad. It's um a type-safe automatic differentiation library.
0: Cool. I'll make sure we add it to the show notes on it. So what are you uh what are your plans now moving forward?
1: Yeah, so I recently um started my PhD um and I'm uh working with uh a new professor now, uh Professor Jin Guo at the McGill University. And uh we're looking at uh how we can we apply um, machine learning to improve the software engineering uh development experience and so in particular, um, she uh, is interested in studying how natural language artifacts and source code and other uh, software artifacts are uh, connected. And so, in a lot of um, IDEs and uh, developer tools, they have um, sort of grammars, uh, formal grammars that you can use to parse uh, lots of languages. And so you'd like to try to um, extend this to other types of uh, software artifacts. And maybe you think, oh, this is kind of a far-fetched thing. Um, But actually, I think it's it's very useful um, for software engineers uh, because one of the most important features, and people, you know, it's kind of invisible when you're using an ID, but this ability to navigate between uh, entities, so tokens in your code and... uh, Issues on GitHub and uh, different things like that, and so there's uh, an interesting set of problems in parsing and um, analyzing these uh, these artifacts. And you know, everybody thinks of the uh, the nice features like code completion and refactoring, and those are all well and good. But um, it kind of being able to understand how people write code in in a natural setting. You know, trying to um, extract requirements and things like this from documents is uh, is a useful and time-consuming thing in the software engineering process. So um, so during my master's degree, I kind of worked on software engineering for machine learning, and now we're trying to turn that around and uh, use that to improve um, the software development experience.
0: Have you looked at MPS at all?
1: Yes, yeah. In fact, uh, we have some um students here who are fans of this um i'm aware of uh yeah some some research uh in kind of uh, language workbenches and uh some of the metaprogramming tools that are available there and uh, and i think it's a very interesting set of um set of tools i i was interested in this for a long time um i think that uh if we were able to um have uh, an environment where you could write um, domain-specific languages and have them all work together, that would be really cool. I've um, recently started playing around with uh, uh, some different frameworks that allow us to do that, um, kind of interop between lots of different languages using a common runtime. It would be interesting to see if um, you could could express um, some domain models in a, uh, notationally concise and familiar syntax, whether that's uh, something that's visually appealing like um, some handwriting or um, some other syntax. But um, yeah, I think, I think there's a very uh, uh, broad set of ideas here that uh, would be interesting to explore. And I, I've just started um, doing research in this area, but um, I think it's a very promising direction.
0: What, how long is your PhD?
1: Uh, Usually it takes uh, three or four years um, based on, uh, since I did my coursework here and um, these two universities, they're pretty close to each other. They accept credits from each other and so all of the uh, academic credits transfer and so might be a little bit shorter uh, or longer depending on the research horizon and um, the student and the advisor. So um, it's it's more kind of open ended i think than a masters degree or a um uh typical university um degree i i'm not sure if there uh is um kind of a, a fixed you know i think they kick you out at like uh 7 years
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well oh. I mean, you know, at that time, it's kind of like the kids, you know, when they when they graduate from school and then university, and then they're around thirty five, and you're like, okay, kiddo, it's it's time to maybe leave the house already. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, it's been um, it's been great chatting with you, Brendan. Uh, we're out of time, and uh, we should catch up uh, in the future when you are
1: yeah,
0: done with your PhD. Talk next time.
1: Yeah.